Good evening. Welcome to the KCBS Mystery Theater, an hour of original radio drama. Tonight's episode is sponsored in part by Bank of America, the Academy of Science, Blue Shield of California, Theater of the Square, and Gold Star Building Maintenance. And now from the radio station that lets you use your mind, here's the KCBS Mystery Theater. And now, Mystery Theater. I'm E.G. Marshall. In everyone's life, there's an individual who doesn't fit into the ordinary mold. Most of the time, he's witty, amusing, charming. But always remember, the strength of will, or whatever drives such a person to be able to climb out of the normal rut, is a hidden danger. Disturb his equilibrium, interfere with his own peculiar order of things, and who knows what sleeping giant or remorseless nemesis might be awakened. Who? Who's there? What are, what are you doing here? Oh, Bryce, Mr. No, don't. What have you got in your hands? Oh, no, you can't. Stay away from me. I scream. Ah! 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 Eighth Precinct, Detective Evans. Yeah? Yeah, where? You got a big one, Evans? Yes, Sergeant. Suspected homicide, Greenville Hills. And this is a Gerald Willoughby. Garroted. You mean strangled? Yeah. Like what I just said, sir. Suspected? No, sir. She's dead, all right. Somebody made sure of that. mystery drama, Don't Let It Choke You, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars Robert L. Green. Carlton Isham Nelson Godfrey Fisk is the one and only issue of the marriage of Beecham Fisk of the Boston banking family and Amelia Standing of the Gross Point, Michigan Standings. For reasons not important to this narrative, they made their residence in a Baroque limestone just off Fifth Avenue in New York City. Carlton was brought up strictly to conform to his double birthright. Born late in his parents' union, he suddenly found himself at 20 when his parents died in the flu epidemic, master of their magnificent residence, but unfortunately without liquid assets. Somehow, he has managed to maintain his lifestyle for the last 15 years. Just how is the thrust of our tale? Why, Bascom, still up and about? Oh, yes, Mr. Fisk. Startled me when your cab pulled up in front of the house. What were you doing here in the shop? Oh, just dusting a bit, sir. I often do when you're out for the evening. You know I don't like anyone disturbing my treasures. 
I think you can trust me, sir. Of course I can, Bascom. You of all people. Uh, may I take your coat, sir? What? Oh, yes, of course. Thank you. Uh, there's nothing wrong with Miss Elliot, I trust? No, not in the sense you mean. On the other hand, there is a great deal that's not quite right. I finally had to face it once again this evening. So I'm home. Early for me. Yes. Your bed is turned down, sir. And... I don't feel like retiring yet. This is rather a special evening for me. Sir? I finally come to an irrevocable decision. The lure is not worth the chase. The cornering of the hunted brings no exultation. It's all illusion. There is no woman alive to share my life. I have decided that I am now a confirmed bachelor. And to hell with matrimony and the perpetuation of the line. I'm going to stay here in the shop and sit among my antiques. They offer beauty and permanence, and they ask nothing in return. Yes, sir. Would you like me to bring you a drink, sir? Of hemlock or the waters of leather? But I, I take it Miss Elliot will not be here for dinner tomorrow? No, she won't. I'm sorry to say Lucille suddenly revealed herself. In spite of her own riches and already unconscionable collection of jewelry, she's acquisitive, greedy, and totally unprincipled. Ah, the witching hour, as sung to us by the rosewood clock. No drink, thanks, Bascom. You can turn in. I want to be alone. Yes, Mr. Fisk. G good night, sir. Rest well. I will, for the next two hours. And don't let anything disturb me. Yes, sir. The rosewood clock, the key to my existence. I crossed quickly to a magnificent 17th century armoire that I have prized so high, I hope no one will ever buy it. From a secret recess, I drew out the precious dark green bottle and held it to the light. My heart failed when I saw how little of the liqueur was left. I poured a precious drop or two into a glass, drank, and went to sit in my Venetian armchair, facing the rosewood clock, waiting, waiting. The years rushed back once again to the very lowest point of my life after the sudden death of my parents. In this very room, I had sat in the same chair, drinking from the same bottle, watching the highly polished convex face of the rosewood clock's pendulum swing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until suddenly, reflected in its shining brass face, there was Wanda, smiling at me. Come to me, darling, for a little while. You're safe, and I want to talk to you. But you're dead. You're not alive anymore. Always, always I live on in you, Carlton. All those years ago, I did come back, and between selling some antiques from the house and investing the money in the market, guided by some incredibly fortunate guesses, I wiped out my debts and became well-to-do again. But I knew where my strength lay and where it came from. And from time to time, I would return to sip from the square green bottles and watch the clock that brought me a magic hour with Wanda. What is this place, Wanda? Don't you remember? That first summer we met and my father had the farm? Of course. A bright blue sky, 
not a cloud. And we wandered hand in hand down to the mill stream. There were daisies. A whole field of daisies. And you told me you loved me. And we kissed. And afterwards, you lay with your head in my lap. And we said it would last for eternity. Only it didn't. The bottle is almost empty. Our visits grow shorter and shorter. What can I do? Believe. Believe? Me? Cynic of the cynics? With all romance buried? Bachelor of bachelors? No wonder. It's too late. It's never too late. Spare me the cliches. Or even you. Or even I might turn out to be less than perfect. I never claimed to be. You are the perfectionist. Are we quarreling? Never. Just speaking as openly as we may. Oh, my darling, you're getting to be a hard-shelled old crustacean. Environmental protection. My reputation is enviable. I'm a cynic with a waspish sense of wit and an infallible instinct how to penetrate the armor of others. It's been quite a life lately. I've had to learn to kill not only the enemy, but those who try to take advantage of the love I seem to be able to bring no one. Wanda, why did you leave me? It wasn't my choice, and I haven't. Yet. What do you mean, yet? Well, I won't be forever. You know that, Carlton. You will find someone else. Perhaps there will be a lot of me in her, even if you don't recognize it. Have faith, my darling. Perhaps she's closer and nearer than you think. You are due for a surprise beyond anything you could imagine. It's time to forget me. And time to stop. Killing everyone you love. I fled for Europe and a long buying trip. Three months later, I returned to be awakened the following morning, dull with jet lag. By come, uh, a telegram for you, sir. Let me see it. It was phoned in, sir. I, I took it thinking it might not be important enough to wake you. And since you have, I may assume that it was. Yes, sir. Your cousin Ralph has died rather suddenly. Cirrhosis of the liver, no doubt. Well, the cause was not mentioned, but he has left you something. Ralph? He owed everyone, including the local minister. I've always suspected the only reason he was an inveterate churchgoer was to pilfer from the offertory. Left me what? Something you apparently agreed to sometime in the past. Let me see that. Good Lord. So he did. Flat out of cash. On my way, signed Jerry. Yes. <laughs> You're apparently a guardian. Of some junior citizen named Jerry. And I thought I was a free man. My mother's side. Some sort of a cousin. And now his child is my responsibility? Legally or morally, sir? Morally is enough. But what am I going to do with this young man when he gets here? Well, there are plenty of guest rooms. I suppose so. Make up whatever seems reasonable, and let's pray he's not pimply-faced or acneed. Excellent, Bascom. I wouldn't normally open it, but I'm just a little afraid of this year. Pour me a little so I may taste it. Yeah, enough, sir. Now, let's see. Hmm. A naive little wine, but with its own slight urgency. Yes, sir. A sort of invitation to the dance, as one might say. Uh, pardon, sir? Literary illusion. Alice in Wonderland. 
The whiting to the snail. We are having whiting tonight. Oh, oh yes, sir. With sauce bechamel. Excellent. Now, for the wine, the Rothschild Lafitte. Not the 69, of course. The 73 will do. A middling year, but my nephew is young enough not to be able to detect our little deception. <laughs> so 17, did you say, sir? Just about. Yes, sir. I know quite how you feel. There really is no room at all in this well-ordered existence of ours for some young high school boy. We shall have to pack him off to school somewhere. Oh, yes, yes, Mr. Fisk. But I am sorry about your cousin's death. We don't have to dwell on that. Uh, what time will the young gentleman be here, sir? Any moment, according to the second telegram. Arriving by car, 7.30 tonight. Right on, Uncle Carlton. See you then. Right on. The language of our times, an expression of approval, vulgarly stated. Well, let's hope the young gentleman will meet with your approval, sir. I'm not sure. I don't like stones thrown in my life pool unexpectedly. Yes. Well, I'd better go down and check on the bechamel. It, it needs tender care. Oh, uh, what is the young gentleman's name, sir? My cousin's name was Forbes. The offspring is Jerry, short for Gerald, I suppose, or possibly Jerome. Thank you, sir. I'll have everything in readiness for an eight o'clock dinner. Right on. I beg your pardon, sir. What? Oh, the insidiousness of slang. One can never be too careful. Yes, at eight precisely. Right on, sir. Come. Uh, Mr. Fisk, your relation has arrived. Well, see his bags to his room and show him in, Bascom. Yes, sir. Uh, begging your pardon, sir, there is another person in a compliment. Dear me. Male or female? Well, it's so hard to tell these days, sir. Male, I believe, but that's only a speculation. I see. Long hair, but facially non-hirsute? Uh, that's right, sir. Neither is bearded. Blue jeans, I suppose. Yes, sir. Not leather jackets with the studs and decals, I hope. Exactly, sir. Yours has a beaded headband and a feather. And tinted glasses? I'm afraid so, sir. Very well. Show them in. Yes, sir. Mr. Fisk is expecting you now. You my uncle? You are the offspring of my cousin Gertrude. Yeah. Oh, if that means like uh, she was my mother. You're younger than I expected. Seventeen. And your voice hasn't broken yet. Huh? A boy's voice undergoes a normal change during puberty. It moves from the higher ranges to... <laughs> hey, hold up, man. You got some kind of idea I'm a male? Well, Jerry is... Man, you are way out. Jerry for Gertrude. Same name as my mom. Don't you know a woman when you see one, Uncle? A woman? I tried to keep my face a mask. But behind my eyes, blood-red rage seared them. This vulgar, wretched, little gutter snipe was twitting me, laughing at me, producing every sensibility of my life. My long search for beauty and perfection. I could have killed her. At that very moment, strangled her for invading my life. The killer lies buried in all of us. And buried less deep than we imagined. Until the right circumstances reveal him. Man's special curse 
the only member of the animal kingdom who kills for passion, without reason or the excuse for survival. I'll return shortly with Act Two. Do you smoke? Well, then you've probably noticed how anti-smoking feelings here have been growing. And you've probably seen and heard all the anti-smoking messages on radio and TV and the warning labels on cigarette packages. Well, the cigarette companies would like you to believe they're sticking up for you. They're asking you to believe that the anti-smoking movement is against smokers and that the cigarette companies are for smokers. But think about that for a moment. The Surgeon General says that cigarettes kill over 350,000 Americans every year. He says that nicotine is more than a habit. It's a drug. As addictive as cocaine. So ask yourself, who's looking out for this smoker? Hmm? This message is paid for by the Martin Himmel Health Foundation in cooperation with the American Heart Association. Someone told me there are dinosaurs in Golden Gate Park, but I said no, the dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago. Or did they? Then they said there are dinosaurs in Golden Gate Park at the California Academy of Sciences. You know the Academy. That's where the planetarium and aquarium are, and that wonderful new hall, Wild California. So I hopped on a bus to see if there really are dinosaurs in the park. I asked the person at the front door, are there any dinosaurs here? And he said, you might say that. So I walked down that huge hall, and what I saw was incredible. There before my eyes was Tyrannosaurus Rex. Then to my left was Ankylosaurus. And when I spun around, Triceratops was there. And you could be there, too, in the midst of 11 nearly life-sized automated dinosaurs. DinoFest 89, open every day. On now at the California Academy of Sciences in Golden Gate Park. For information, call 750-7142. That's 750-7142. You're listening to Mystery Theater, an exclusive presentation of New 74 KCBS. A strange confrontation. Two young people of today and a hidebound Bostonian. A man who had intellectually decided to turn his back on woman as a companion and to become a bachelor recluse. And now he faces the fact that the ward he has committed himself to be legal guardian of is a female. It was, I suppose, only a second or so, but it seems an eternity. All my years of searching for a woman to share my life, a woman such as I had lost, and now to find that this slovenly child with the long, tangled hair and dirty fingernails, the skin-tight jeans, the cheap beads, and the ludicrous hussar boots, and the face marred by the corpse-colored lipstick and the blue eyeshadow. For the first time in my life, I was speechless. You want to check me out, Uncle? Ask Koki here. Hey, that's right. I want you to meet Koki who drove me here. Meet my uncle or some kind of relative, Mr. Fisk. Koki? Ah, oh, yes, of course. Pleased to meet you. Mister? <laughs> you got any notions about old Koki here? Forget it. Say hello to the man. Hi, Fisk, man. Crazy joint you run here. Crazy. Crazy? Yeah, far out, man. Hey, hit me with some skin. 
Just shake hands. Corky likes the house. I'm certainly flattered. Am I really going to stay with you, Uncle? What do I call you? My first name is Carlton. That's kind of stuffy. We've got to find something better. Hey, if I'm staying, can we find a pad for Corky here? See, he's out of gas, and then we have no bread, and... Anyway, he always went for the Big Apple. The Big Apple? New York. Where it's at. Kind of excited myself. <laughs> oh, man, this place is way out. Those rooms downstairs. Ones I took a peek in when you were cooling our heels. Corky, you dig that crazy stuff. Yeah, huh? real cool. Looked like a cross between my Aunt Emma's barn and the old clubhouse down by the garbage dump. <laughs> you got some kind of a gig going down there, Uncle Fizz? Uncle Fizz? Yeah. Everybody's got to have his own special name, Dick. My name is Cochran Ryder, the second. What kind of name is that? So, Cokie, Gertrude, Jerry, Fisk, Fizz. Hey, man, what is all that old jazz down there anyways? You sell junk? Junk. Oh, he doesn't mean horse, grass, bannings like that. He means uh, old things like the goodwill of the uh, Salvation Army. I sell antiques, yes. To a very private and select clientele. You don't say. Hey, I think being around here is going to be kicks. How about you, Cokie? Uh, I ain't exactly got the glad hand yet, baby. Come. Dinner is served, Mr. Fisk, whenever you're ready. I think the sooner the better, Bascom. Oh, and you'd better set an extra place. Yes, sir. Mr. Ryder will be joining us. Oh, gee. That was swell of you, Uncle Fisk. After all, he did chauffeur you all the way down from upstate. Oh, look, no sense in getting an uproar about me. I could easily grab a couple of beers and a big smack down to the corner. I wouldn't think of it. You must be my guest. Well, okay. If the old woman wants it, <laughs> you twisted my arm. Let's go load up. The dinner was an absolute disaster. When the white wine was served... Oh, wow. That tastes like vinegar. You got any sangria or cola? I could go for a beer myself with a sauce bechamel. You mean this gooey stuff? Oh, it didn't turn out so good, huh? Hey, why don't we send out for a pizza? I won't ravage you with the rest of it. Suffice to say, as soon as the horror was over, I fled for bed and left Bascom to find somewhere for Cokie, the very name catches in my throat, to bed down. By the following morning, I felt almost myself as the bell to my antique establishment announced one of my favorite and most lucrative customers, Mrs. Willoughby from Westminster. Exquisite. Absolutely exquisite. A veritable gem. An escritoire par excellence. Of course, I can't see it very well. My eyes are not what they were. Uh, uh. Allow me to see it for you. The wood is sycamore with gilt bronze mounts. The top of the writing table itself is marble inlaid with plaques of Sevres porcelain. Undoubtedly, Louis XIV. Louis Fourteenth, The sun god himself. How much? For a treasure like this? I want it. They're like my children. I hate to part with them. If I told you what this has actually been appraised by my peers, but then you are an old and valued customer, I must make what accommodation I can. Shall we say $10,000? That's a lot of money. But then, it is one of a kind. Excuse me. 
Yes, Bascom. Uh, the mail, sir, it just arrived. Put it over there, please. Uh, certainly, sir. I'll take the desk. As soon as possible. Any accommodation you desire. Well, I will be in Saratoga for a few days. You make the time. Uh, say next uh, Thursday. It will be cash, as usual. You know my quirks. I don't trust banks. Ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Oh, uh, are these your new delivery boys? Why? Hi, I'm Uncle Fizz's newest antique. I'm his ward, Jerry. Uh, this is my old man, Corky. Pleased to make your acquaintance. Well, I can't say the same. Mr. Fisk, I've never questioned your taste before. But really, riffraff like this. It's enough to shake my judgment in you and others of your customers, too. Good morning. Did I say something wrong? Bascom. Yes, sir. Go after Mrs. Willoughby and make sure she gets in her car all right. Yes, sir. Did you say something wrong? Did you say... It isn't just what you say, my dear. It's what you are. You are wrong. That's the problem. You simply do not fit. You've got to go. Oh, no, man. Let's not get to throwing our weight on. Hey, hey, hey. Lay out, Corky. Who asked you in? I'll handle this myself. Okay. That's the way you want it. You got it. Now, Uncle Fizz, let's you and me get it on the table. There's a court order you got to take care of me till I'm of age. I'm buying that for the next year because I go for some of what's here. You mean you're waking up to the fact that it's time for the leopard to change her spots? Oh, not me. Maybe you. I ain't changing my lifestyle till I'm good and ready, if ever. But you, you sure could use a few changes in yours. So I'm sticking. Just as long as I can. I stared in dismay at this defiant child. My only thought was to rid myself of her. At least for the moment. I sent her away. I had to be alone. I closed my door after hanging out my sign. Tastefully rendered in Italio on a plaque of cherry wood. The legend read, Mr. Fisk regrets that pressing affairs require his absence for the next two hours. Then I sat down, the dark green bottle in hand, waiting for the rosewood clock to strike the hour. Wow, Mr. Bass, oh. what a super kitchen. <laughs> yes, Miss Wharton, it is rather nice. And all those lovely copper pots hanging overhead. You use all them? Why, oh, I, I suppose I have at one time or another... You mind if I keep on? I'm preparing lunch. And oh. dinner, too. Oh, that's all right. Could I help? Oh, I bless you. No, no, no. Everything under control. Uh, you could help me. Huh? Could I? How? Well, I, I like it here. And I like Uncle Fitz. I like my uncle. Why doesn't he like me? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, miss. I, I've got to chop these onions. It's just that, well, you see, he's, um, he's sort of off women, as you might say. I don't take you. I, I mean, I don't understand. He's pretty damn attractive and, and sexy. So why? Well, quite a long time ago, when we were in the army together, he was going to be married to a girl, and uh, she was killed in a car crash before he ever got back from overseas. How long ago? Oh, Lord, pretty near 15 years. 
And he hasn't liked women since then? No, not him. He's the most eligible bachelor in New York. Why, Bascom, you're crying. Not me, ma'am. Just the onions. You too. No, no, no. It isn't the onions with me. I'm sad for anyone who's haunted by ghosts. I got my own closet full. Cokey! I thought you cut out. I meant to. Then I got to thinking. I was just about to ring the doorbell when you came out. I just wanted some air. Want a ride? Uh-uh. Walk? No. Just sit here for a moment on the stoop. Oh, I'll sit with you. Hey, look, Jerry. I got to thinking. You buy all that jazz? The old lady with a ten grand in cash for a piece of crud you can pick up at the Goodwill for 25 bucks? What's your drift? Well, I don't know myself. Blackmail? Horse? A bag man for the numbers. Who? Your Uncle Fish. Don't call him that. Okay, okay, he's off. I'm just trying to figure maybe we could have a a good thing going here. We? I need you to cut in whatever's cooking. Yeah, I need you to cut out. Well, what has you got? The hots for a guy old enough to be your father? That's all you'd figure. It's not that way. Anyways, he isn't all that old. Why don't you just bug off? I don't figure what you're hanging around for. What can you get out of it but a short term in Dullsville? Well, maybe that's what I need. Maybe that's what I really want. Okay, baby, it's your life. But there's something screwy about this whole scene. Maybe you'll get more than you bargained for. Anything new in the old Willoughby Dame, Evans? Uh, nothing much to go on, Sergeant. Except for one thing. Yeah, what? You remember I made a point she wasn't strangled? She was, like, uh, garroted? Yeah, with some kind of wire. Yeah, right. Something rang a bell and I checked around. First thing I dig up is an open file on the 20th. A few months ago, a woman named Lillian Elliott was found dead in the same way. Yeah? Turned out to be a fancy hooker. No lease. Just on a hunch, I had Central Files punch up the computer. And I turned up two more in the last ten years, taken out the same way. Yeah? Anything else to tie them together? Nope. First was an Ellen Parkins, American. But it happened in Paris. She was a 30-year-old artist. The second was four years later, in the village, 6th Precinct. Woman around 25 in the antique jewelry business. Uh, how old was the hooker? Uh, 34, maybe uh, 35. Good looker, but getting a little old for the game. And an 80-year-old society, Betty, worth millions, who kept it all in cash and safety deposit boxes in her apartment, pinned to the drapes, and folded up between old newspapers in the basement. <laughs> Is she the only one robbed? Yeah, as far as we know. Yeah, well, there's not much of a pattern there. Where do we go from here? I keep digging. I don't know why, but I smell one guy in all of these. And I ain't gonna let him get away with it. It was a long wait. The pendulum swings in its gentle arc. I can feel her presence coming closer, closer. Feel myself 
floating back into that special world of peace and beauty. Her back is turned to me as I call, and she turns. But it is no longer Wanda's face, I see. It's the face of the slovenly, mocking little witch I have taken into my house. Bad enough, she invades my waking life. I will not let her spoil what few dreams I have left. Old instincts explode, and I reach towards her, ready to strangle her for daring, for daring to try to take Wanda's place. A curious story about a curious man who lives a secret life with a phantom woman. What is he seeking? And does his dream life drive him to destroy any woman who seeks to invade it? I'll return shortly with Act Three. Controlled hypnosis is a parascience and a valuable tool in psychiatric medicine. But self-hypnosis is something else again. For the limiting factor of hypnosis ordinarily is that the subject will not do anything ordered by the control which is against his own desires. But where there is no control except the subject himself, perhaps we're about to find the answer. No! What are you doing? I won't let you take Wander away from me. No one, no one can take my... God, it's me. Wanda, let me go. Wanda, I... I thought... You thought I was your ward. Jerry, yes. Why would you think that? I saw... I thought I saw... someone else's face instead of yours. Perhaps you did. What do you mean? It's lasted far too long, Carlton. Far too long. It's time for me to go. No, no. Yes. Yes, my dear. But I love you. And I love you. But all things come to an end. It's finished, my darling. Finished. Better it's finished for me than for the others. For the others. Yes. yes. Who is Who is it? Begging your pardon, sir, but there's someone to see you. You know very well I never see anyone when the sign is out. Yes, sir. But this gentleman is from the police, sir. Police? Oh, very well. Just a moment. Yes, what is it? My credentials, Mr. Fisk. Detective Evans, 20th Precincts. I'll get right to the point. Do you know Mrs. Beatrice Willoughby, 120 Sutton Place? Of course. She's an old and valued customer. I had a desk delivered to her mansion only this morning. Now, don't tell me anything's happened. It's a priceless antique. If it's the desk you're worried about, no. But uh, that's what brought me here. Mrs. Willoughby? Yes, sir. She's dead. Aunt? No, sir. She was strangled and robbed. Oh, how terrible. I should really say, uh, garroted. That's a strange word for you to use. Is it? Well, it has rather a specific meaning. Yeah, that's why I used it. It wasn't a stocking, for example, or a rope. Definitely a wire, used very expertly. Are you, by any remote chance, suggesting that I had anything to do with that? I'm not suggesting anything. Just doing my job. You were with the Green Berets, uh, was you, sir? Yes, for three years. And I'll anticipate you and say that part of my training was the technique you were describing. 
But if you think... Detective Evans, was it? Yes, sir. Mrs. Willoughby owed me $10,000. I would scarcely, if you will forgive the praise, do her in before I was paid, would I? I'm not suggesting anything. I'm only collecting information. Uh, do you recall knowing an Ellen Parkins? I most certainly do. I knew her in Paris, so... Ten years ago. Great talent as an artist, but I lost touch. I've often wondered what happened to her. She was found in her studio. Dead. Garroted. Good Lord, no. When? Ten years ago. Were you also acquainted with a Judith Carlin? Sort of, um, in your business? Yes, she was in antique jewelry. Had an unerring sense of taste about jewelry. But not about her friends, shall we say. Don't tell me that she... Yes, sir. About five years ago. Garroted. Now, sir, Miss Lillian Elliott. Oh, no. Not Lillian. What is this? Some psychedelic dream? It can't be happening. Pascom, what are you up to? <laughs> you look like you're eavesdropping. I, uh, I was just closing the door. See the sign? Oh, no. I wanted to have a talk with... With my guardian. Well, you you can't interrupt him now. He he has a very important guest. Come along. Oh, okay, Pesky, okay, but easy on my arm. You got some grip there. I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize. Um, let's go in the kitchen, ma'am. I have my work to do. Well, let me help a little. No, there's nothing for you to do. Well, there's a whole lot for me to do. I've decided to be a permanent guest. That is, as long as I'm allowed to be permanent. Just what do you mean by that, Miss Jerry? Well, look, y you really love Carl. I mean, my guardian, don't you? We've been through a lot together, he and I. Yes, Miss Jerry. I love him like the son I never had. I'd do anything for him. Well, that's the way I feel. Oh, I know it'll seem silly to you, except... Well, maybe you're the only person in my whole life who could understand. Y you see, my mother was a drunk, and my father was a deadbeat. So I had to develop a, a shell hard enough so I, I didn't curl up and die. But I don't need that anymore. I, I love him. And not like an uncle, like a woman. But sure, you're only oh, seven. Age is relative. If I'd let my parents shape my life, I'd be 117 going on 18. Age doesn't mean anything anymore. Oh, Juliet was 16. Charlie Chaplin, he's about 90. Casals, Picasso. A man is a man as long as he wants to be. And Bas, I'm in love. I love him just as much as you. We're the same. No, not quite. You said I had a strong grip. Well, that's because I've been conditioned all my life. <laughs> I was a commando during World War II. Special service force in Korea, then Vietnam. That's where I met Mr. Fisk. He's like a son to me, as I told you. And, and I protect him, even with my life. You don't think I feel the same? I'd like to say something, if I may... Perhaps it would be safer for us all if you get out of the master's life right away. 
For a long time after the police officer left, I lay sunk in my chair. My mind, a kaleidoscope of the past. He had forced nothing. I had admitted nothing. But he had shaken me. I went to the armoire and unlocked it. There was the leaden green bottle with its final few magic drops to seek Wanda again. Then I opened another compartment. Within it were the tools of death. I'd never been able to throw away. The most prominent and of focal interest for the moment was the wire garrot with its handholds that, to the best of my belief, had been shut away since my last patrol. Holding it, my hands were shaking and my stomach was ice. Had I? Was it possible, under self-hypnosis, that I had used it against the women who proved less than perfect? I might have believed that, except for poor dear Mrs. Willoughby. I had a sudden urge for air, to breathe, to walk, to think outdoors. Carelessly, I thrust things away, pushed the armoire door shut without locking it, and left. Uncle Carlton? Carlton? Are you in there? Oh, oh, shut up. I told you to leave, Miss Cherry. What are you doing in that dress? Well, I haven't really got anything of my own. I mean, like this. I I found it upstairs. What's that in your hands? I'm sorry, Miss Cherry. But you couldn't help him either. You just couldn't measure up. You'd let him down like all the rest. And I won't allow that to happen. He's special, you see. Very special. Nobody but me knows that. And those of you who don't know how special he is have to be eliminated. Don't be afraid. It doesn't really hurt, and it's only for a moment. No! No, Bascom, you're crazy! Hold it, Bascom. The garrote... You. (laughs) Only because of you, Carlton. You mean Judith, Ellen, Lillian. They let you down. I never did. But Beatrice Willoughby, why poor Mrs. Willoughby? That was an accident. You remember how you and I first met? Yes, in training. And I had a certain weakness. The ponies. You bailed me out then. My life wasn't worth a nickel. You made one stipulation. That you would lay off them for good. Yes, sir. I broke my word some years ago. I did all right for a while, and then it all ran bad. When Mrs. Willoughby bought the desk, and I knew that all that cash was loose around her house, I thought I'd found my way out. Only she didn't go away as she promised, and she discovered me robbing her. The rest was reflex action. Oh, Bascom. For me, nothing. I'm old enough, it doesn't matter. And I deserve it. I think you'd better call the police so I can set the record straight. Liz? Yes, Gertrude? Are we doing the right thing? I can't answer that. Once, I wanted to be a Pygmalion to your Galatea. I wanted to mold and change you, 
That's okay with me. Except that it backfired. You changed me. You took ten years off my age, which still makes me 35, but that makes me young enough. Oh, considering I was the oldest 17-year-old you ever knew. From ward to wife. It's quite a jump. Well, if you don't risk the big ones, you don't end up a winner. A strange twist, but a nice one. Two lost souls found each other, and a life that could have been denied them so easily. And Bascom, for whom there are no excuses, died while awaiting trial from a sudden massive heart attack. The best and kindest thing he could do for both Carlton and Jerry. Their backgrounds alone were enough to make a human relationship a problem without the complication of Bascom's misguided help. I'll be back shortly. If you have not yet prepared your will, please listen carefully. Without a will, the laws of the state and not you will determine who receives your property and in what amounts. Who manages the affairs of your estate? Your choice as guardian of your minor children may never be known. Your loved ones could face unnecessary legal costs and needless court delays. Now, for only $12.95, you can make your own will quickly and safely with the American Will Kit. You'll receive simple fill-in-the-blank will forms with easy-to-follow directions. The forms were prepared by lawyers to be valid in all 50 states. Order now, and you'll also receive, free of charge, our easy-reading personal protection guide, giving you important tips and special information that can save you money. Now is the time to take advantage of this special mail-order opportunity. To order, call toll-free 1-800-542-1212. Only $12.95 plus shipping. That's 1-800-542-1212. Money back if not satisfied. Call now, 1-800-542-1212. Only one long-distance company offers so many ways to save 24 hours a day. With calling plans that can save you money across the state, across the country, and across the ocean. Only one company, AT&T. Our reach-out plans fit the way you call with all the service and quality of AT&T. No one even comes close. Call 1-800-REACH-OUT now. AT&T. The right choice. Savings potential depends upon subscriber calling patterns. Just a glance at the long view for people who agonize over age gaps or any other fancied objection to a long-term relationship or a marriage. As life or fate, as you prefer to believe, arranged it, it was actually Jerry who died before Carlton. But not before they had had over 30 full years between them. The Lord giveth and taketh away. But if you believe in him hard enough, the odds are on your side. Our cast included Robert L. Green, Jennifer Harmon, Court Benson, Anne Petoniak, and Larry Robinson. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown.